This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. talk a little bit about early planning. Right now it's mid to late April and some of my, even my clients are questioning the fact that we're starting to do some of the reviews uh, when they don't, their health insurance or employee benefits program entirely is not renewing until the fourth quarter or January 1. And there's a lot of reasons for this is some of them could be a little bit more complicated so need some more time but I wanted to go through some analysis and then what some checkpoints that you should start looking at right now which is a perfect time because everybody has busy schedules why wait until there's urgency on the table in October November December to try to make decisions when you're pressed for time at least right now you have time you can get access to resources and ask the questions that you may need and you may not even make decisions this year but do the homework, put it in a file, and so you can make better decisions later uh, if it's not this current year. Most small to mid-sized companies that uh, implement a employee benefit programs are probably paying before, between $250,000 and $1 million worth of health, uh, for their employee benefits program. That's just the gross amount that doesn't include the employee's uh, contribution. But on average, I would say um, between small and mid-sized companies, you got the lows and the highs. But on average, well, at least for my example, I'm going to use $500,000 in, in premium dollars that you're actually paying to have a benefits program for your employees. And I'm just going to go through hypothetical example, how much time you should put in and what that time is worth, right? And so even if you could save, let's say, 20%, if you did some research, did some homework, you challenged some things, and you implement some of the uh, ideas that we've already talked about on this podcast 20% of 500000 is obviously $100,000. And so let's just say, hypothetically, you have a billable rate of $500 an hour. There's a good chance you're not, but $500 is um, on the high side. If you took that and averaged it out over the savings, it would take you 200 hours just to break even. Obviously, it's not going to take 200 hours, and it's not going to cost $500 an hour. So let's talk about the truth. Your HR manager, office manager... It could be you as the business owner. Um, obviously, the value would be a little bit higher as the business owner, but let's just say it's costing you between taxes and, and payroll. Let's just say it's 50 bucks an hour, and, and that seems reasonable. And it, if you average maybe one hour per week between May and September, which gives you approximately 20 hours invested in the try to saving some money on the employee benefit programs. So if it did cost you 50 bucks an hour for payroll and taxes, it would the rough estimate investment and equity and time is $1,000. And so if you were able to make those challenges, make those resource uh, shopping as well as vendors and uh, try to look at other opportunities that may not exist before, or just maybe you haven't heard of certain things and it gives you a little bit more time to investigate, you still have a potential savings in this example of $99,000. And so obviously it's worth investing some time. It's not worth waiting until the last minute and then find out that you could only save $10,000 and then throw up your hands and say, healthcare costs a lot of money and I could only save 10 grand out of my half a million dollars that we're paying on employee benefits. You have to invest the time. You cannot just assume a, a few phone calls within a 60-day period is going to resolve all these issues. They're not. It's ongoing. It may not be this year. It could be more like next year. We have evaluations that we go on that they don't qualify for some of these programs this year. 
but it doesn't mean we can't give up um, or we're going to give up. We're going to have to postpone until next year or in the following year. Maybe employee changes, maybe certain things have changed. Maybe they have a boost in revenue. Maybe they have a decrease in revenue. The situation changes all the time. So you want to plan in advance. So let's talk about some of the things that you should start doing right now. Uh, again, this is literally nine months out. What are some of the things you start putting um, together and then setting timelines on? The first thing I would recommend is write a list of the goals for the employee benefit programs for your employees. What are you trying to do? What's the end goal? Uh, what's working? Let's talk about positive things here, not the negative. What are things that you want to try to offer? What are some of the things you want to move to? What are those goals? We need to write those out. Also go through even the past five to 10 years, if you've been there that long, uh, list out any of the issues that you may have had. Uh, it could be onboarding, it could be terminated employees, it could be payroll issues, it could be compliance, it could be a rate increase issues, it could be broker issues. And so list those issues out. And then I would take that and put that into a non, not fancy document, just something that typed up that you can either email or print out and provide to somebody, such as your broker. I would call your broker, the one you currently have, see what they have to say. For sure, give them a, a respect and loyalty because they're they're working for you. You could always call us too, get the second opinion. Um, and maybe you don't have a guy that could do this. Maybe uh, you've grown out of the current broker. Maybe the broker's MIA. There's a lot of reasons, but Obviously, contact the broker and make sure um, you provide them these lists and the goals and issues. And the first thing you want to do is make sure that the broker aligns with your goals and, and, and have the resources themselves to provide resolutions for the issues. And the reason I say that is because you may have certain goals and the broker may come in and just slam all of them in some fashion. And I think there's valid reasons in a lot of cases that maybe your company is not ready for certain things. Um, it could take a little longer to, to get there, and that's fine. But as long as they have reason and if it makes sense to you, great. And if it doesn't, persevere, push beyond that, get a second opinion, see if the validation is there between multiple brokers. You also want to make sure they're aligned because you need to make sure the broker has your best interest at heart. And because if they don't, they're not going to be working too hard for you when you're trying to push the envelope. When there's a gray area and you're trying to figure out how underwriting is going to take place, are they really going to drive it home and try to negotiate with that underwriter or figure out a way to be creative um, to get you approved and save that money? Or are they going to walk away and just say, hey, sorry, uh, this is what it is. And so that's part of the vetting process. This could be multiple phone calls, meetings, whatever it might be, but these are some things that you have to do. Now, since we have a whole bunch of time, uh, definitely take advantage of it. Take a look at at least two offers in any of the areas that you're looking at, whether it's medical, dental, vision, life, a long-term disability, short-term disability, long-term care. Um, it could be payroll vendors. It could be a number of things. It could be third-party administrators for HRAs or, or HSAs. There's a number of resources, even we're going to talk about compliance here in a second, but even compliance vendors get two or three offers just to see what other people are doing. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to save anything. They could be exactly the same. And maybe there are savings, but it's not worth doing anything about. But how are you going to know without taking a look at it? You need to start making some of these decisions by August. And so this definitely gives you a few months, but 
don't let it pass because uh, some of these pieces are going to be huge and you're not going to have enough time to do it for this year. But uh, start the process so you can uh, document the notes and the process that you're going through so that you can pick it up the following year if you're not able to do anything this year. There's a list of compliance areas that definitely need to be reviewed. This could be from H, um, the handbook, employee handbook that probably has never been updated. Maybe it has, but it's been years. Maybe some things have changed in how things operate. What, what are you doing there? The 125 doc, the pre-tax document has to be updated every year. What are you doing about that? How is that being updated? You have to build a process for that. Some payroll companies do it and some don't touch it. And then also the wrap document. Uh, majority of the small businesses, for sure, many of the medium-sized businesses have these documents either outdated or never had it in place to begin with. And this is a compliance issue with the Department of Labor, as well even the IRS in some cases, like the 125 document. So it's definitely a crucial area. The 5500 filing reports is crucial for companies that are required to file, and it gets overlooked by many brokers because either a lack of confidence or lack of resources. And sometimes they're doing it, but they're doing it every other year or every few years when they remember. And so people make mistakes, but uh, you just got to pick up the ball and see where the missing items are. And then also HR compliance, do an HR audit. There's audit documents online. We have them in our office. We have access to HR outsourcing firms that help do the audits. Um, so you could stay in compliance and HR, um, uh, HR review by Department of Labor is not the, the best audit to, to go through. So you're better off doing your own audit internally so you could start working through it. Nothing's going to change overnight. You're going to just take some bullet points. What are the highest priorities? Let's start tackling those. Once those are off the list, then we look at what's next. It's an ongoing process and never ends uh, in one year versus another. So start your planning today. Hey, gang. Ever wonder what it's like to be a small business owner? It's confusing. Weird expenses coming out of nowhere. And when you throw in health insurance, forget it. Nobody understands how that works. If you own a business, big or small, it's one of the biggest expenses you have all year long. And yet, we all wait until open enrollment at the end of the year, and then we think to ourselves, next year, next year I'll get a jump on it. And then it's another year of paying way too much. If you're a business owner, big or small, HR representative that wants to impress the boss, give Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America a call. Save yourself or your boss thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year. Reach out to Butch right now, 708-535-3006 or shoot him an email, butch at elitebenefits.net and be sure to check out the Zemar podcast. Don't wait till the last minute. Put Butch Zemar to work for you now. Today, I have a special guest, Chad Granger. We're going to have a discussion uh, around compliance in the workplace and um, some other documentation. But uh, welcome to the show, Chad. Thanks, Butch. Yeah, it's actually Granger, but you're pretty close there. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. Yeah. So um, give us a little background on, on who you are. Uh, I know you, you work for a company called Prime Pay, but you have a lot of history in the broker community, and uh, I would like you to share that with uh, our audience. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Butch. Thanks for having me on as well. Um, yeah, I was in the uh, on the carrier side for over 15 years, Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, and I did everything from uh, medical management, um, process claims, worked in provider services. Um, I was an account manager. I was also um, involved in direct sales for a number of years. So I really 
worked my way around uh, kind of the overall operation to get a bigger picture view of how kind of all the cogs in the machine worked um, on the carrier side of things. And then I um, jumped to uh, the broker world where I was assistant vice president of employee benefits at a, a agency and a producer and another larger agency after that. And uh, when I was working for one of those agencies, uh, we worked with prime pay. So um, that's kind of the hop, skip, and the jump of how I got to prime pay um, when an opportunity came up uh, for a regional manager position, um, handling uh, all of the ancillary, you know, TPA-related benefits and compliance, which I had some background in. So I thought it was a nice fit and transition for me. Um, and I've been here almost seven years now, um, certified in flexible compensation. Um, you know, we really view ourselves uh, as a broker asset uh, at prime pay. Yeah, and I know over the years that we've gotten to know each other, you've been definitely a resource throughout the years. Whether there was business there or not, I, I appreciate the feedback, the the, the background you have uh, that you're able to bring to brokers such as myself. And and a lot of our conversations end up you know around the compliance arena, and because the some of these employers and brokers try to do some of the stuff in house, and and um, some of the stuff you could probably get away with for a little while, but as the company grows or makes some changes, there ends up being some issues behind it, such as outdated paperwork, and obviously things keep changing, and we'll get to some of the most recent changes just from a high level overview. But what have you seen like from the broker community and working with employers? Have you seen an increase of more interest in the compliance arena and trying to make sure that they have all the documentation in place? Yeah, well, certainly since the Affordable Care Act, um, a lot more has fallen into the broker's lap. Uh, it's much more than just employee benefits um, because, you know, your clients are looking to you as the go-to person, um, you know, to have answers to their questions. And things certainly well, got a little more complex when the Affordable Care Act reporting requirements came out. Um but yeah, I mean, there's you really have to widen and broaden your your knowledge base um, in these areas because compliance is something that brokers have uh, been using as a as a door, you know, into uh, speaking to clients, not not necessarily going right after uh, employee benefits uh, out of the gate necessarily. So, um, and that's something that you got to be aware of uh, to kind of protect your book of business. So. Um, you know, certainly has been a greater focus on uh, compliance over the last 10, 12 years or so. Yeah, I would agree as well, because some of the the old school documentation that even some of the small employers only had to worry about was really like the, the POP or the 125 plan. And so they can do some pre-tax benefit. And a lot of times payroll providers took care of that. Um, and even if they didn't, it just wasn't a high priority. And then it moves into wrap documents that about probably every small business in the country uh, probably doesn't have one on file or at least outdated. And obviously that's a compliance issue that needs to be um, addressed. But you're right, since the Affordable Care Act, obviously the 1099 forms, but one of the things I I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on was um, some of the experience or what have you seen like initially when the Affordable Care Act started to roll out with this whole pay or play, variable hour, full-time equivalent thing and how to calculate it. And so what did you see back then when it first rolled out and what are you seeing today? Because I think uh, you guys even brought bring tools to the table to help resolve some of those. Yeah, well, certainly out of the gate, there's a lot of confusion of just exactly what information, um, you know, the IRS was looking for. Um, you know, but prior to that, variable hour employees and measurement periods and safe harbors, uh, 
you know, what, they didn't have to contend with it or even think it through. So a lot of groups out of the gate did not have um, a policy in mind uh, with regard to measurement periods in particular. Uh, so some of this was new concepts of what the purpose of those were and how they affected their overall ACA filing. Uh, some groups thought it was going to go away, you know, not long after it was implemented. So, so true. Uh, there are still, yeah, there are still groups that have never filed um, their forms, at least not until they get the 2226J uh, letter, which has a, a fine attached to it, and then they certainly uh, get on it. But um, so there's still those out there. Um, we can do filings all the way back to the beginning. So I've, I've worked on some of those even this year. Um, as far as, you know, as you, the years progressed and the IRS kind of caught up with previous year's filings, I think they're still even working on 2017-2018 uh, filings, but getting there. Um, you know, groups got more comfortable with it, um, you know, set those policies, chose their safe harbor for determining the affordability of the plans and are in a better place today. I mean, there are still some who are, who are not doing it. Um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, depending on what administration was in place at the time, you know, when, when Trump was president, uh, some folks thought they didn't have to uh, have to contend with it because it was going away. It didn't quite go away. Sure, sure. <laughs> So and, it, and that definitely de separated things on the broker side, because um, even though brokers are like, yes, we don't necessarily agree with the Affordable Care Act, but we have checkpoints that we have to meet in order to make sure that you're in compliance. And who's at fault at that point when they get that IRS letter, for example, is the broker for not assisting and making sure that they were well informed on the process? Or, I mean, the employer is ultimately responsible, but there's obviously a liability issue related to the broker um, for not providing a resource or even mentioning it, even though it's directly not their fault, it's indirectly uh, just as a consultant. Yeah, well, that's a real difficulty because of that. I mean, it's a, it's a tax form, but a lot of CPAs don't want to touch it, right? And then, and you're right, as a consultant, you've got to provide the client with information and ultimately it is the client's responsibility to make sure the filings are done. So there's a lot of tension in there with regard to who's supposed to do what. And as the broker, you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself and providing information necessary. Um, and that's some of the difficulty with, you know, kind of across the board with compliance matters in general, because you don't want to swim in water that you're not qualified or fully qualified and legally qualified to uh, give advice or, you know, consultation. So you want to make sure that you're, um, you, know, you have trusted partners that you can rely on and lean on when those things come up. And now reporting requirements isn't really anything um, new, just we're adding more to the employer's plate because ERISA compliance has been around for much longer than, and um, a lot of the, the filings uh, around the 5500 has been there for many, 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 many years. And so um, all we did was just really add more to it. And But it's uh, really, I think, all in line with the same process. If you're doing some type of process or streamlining or partnering with a company that uh, could help insist uh, do that. It makes the compliance side so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's another thing that's, that's come a compliance matter that's come to the forefront since the Affordable Care Act. I mean, ERISA has been around and I'm not talking about the 401k kind of side of ERISA. I'm talking about the health and wellness uh, side of it. Right. Uh, it's been around since 1974. So 
long time, uh, but it just hasn't been enforced um, really until the Affordable Care Act, because with the ACA reporting, you're much more on the radar now having these additional reporting uh, requirements. And it's also, quite frankly, another revenue stream for the government, um, you know, under the new way of doing things to kind of look at it again. And that's why we've seen the Department of Labor increase the potential fines related to ERISA RAP documents and SPDs uh, over the years and their, you know, the fines growing that they they collect each year. So it's gone from the millions to the billions uh, in the last 10 years. Um, so it's definitely something that a group will want to consider getting taken care of if they don't have an ERISA wrap document with summary plan descriptions that they, you know, distribute to their employees. So, so that is a, a certainly a, a hot uh, compliance topic. <laughs> yeah, for for sure. For sure. And, and of course, the government keeps adding to our plate uh, with the most uh, recent act that was signed into law, that American Rescue Plan Act. They added additional requirements for the COBRA compliance. In conversations with local brokers, it, it basically took them off their game because um, they were trying to even manhandle some of the Cobra administration in-house, which I think could be reasonable depending on who they are and how updated the paperwork, but there's some liability that comes with it. But I know things are still rolling out, but what are some of the differences that you're seeing from the old notifications to the new, just from a high level, nothing specific, but some of the things that they should be aware of? There's a couple of things that affected COBRA due to the pandemic. The first one was what we kind of called the COBRA pause, which was when the national emergency was declared back March 1st of 2020, all the normal timeframes for notifications under COBRA were suspended, at least temporarily, uh, over the course of, well, it's still going on, um, um, for the national emergency. So, you could someone on COBRA could have suspended their payments of COBRA um, for up to a year, and uh, through what they call an outbreak period, which is 60 days past that year, which was supposed to have been the end of February, but they have uh, the government has extended that uh, with, without an end date exactly going on right now. But with the American Rescue Plan, there's that six month subsidy that the government's going to cover um, anyone who was involuntarily terminated or had a reduction of hours, which made them ineligible for their um, you know benefits. Um, so from April 1 to September 30th. Uh, they're, you know, the government's going to pull, um, cover the full um, premiums. And the main thing that that affects is, is a new set of notices um, that have to go out with language specific to that subsidy. Um, I think it's three or four total notices. It also affects state-level continuation. Um, so, yeah, those, those, and they have to go out by May 31st. So this is something that's happened very quickly. Uh, some of it is still fluid, um, for sure. Um, but, you know, you, you have to identify, uh, you know, look back over the past 18 to 36 months, depending on, you know, what state you're in and, and whether you're under federal or state level COBRA. Um, and determine who is an assistance eligible individual. Um, and then you have to send those folks those notices uh, to make them aware of the fact that they're eligible for that subsidy. So that's the important thing. It has to go out by the end of May. So right now there is a bit of a, you know urgency in identifying them and having notices go out. And if you're handling that in-house, you definitely want to check out the Department of Labor's model notices, which were released um, a few days. Well, actually, I think it was around April 7th or 8th that they actually came out. So, but yeah, important to get those out by the end of May. With all these compliances, things going on, and you made a uh, brief note on the ACA filings, but 
there's probably uh, many in our audience that's listening that uh, might be um, suffering a reality check listening to this podcast and saying, holy smokes, maybe I'm off my game for a whole bunch of stuff. So what are you seeing besides the ACA filings and backdating all the way to the beginning, but like the even all the other documentation, such as you know, the 125 document or the RAP or the 5500, are you seeing a lot of employers or is there an opportunity for employers to actually go back and actually fix some of those documentation and get it fixed before the, any audits? Yeah, as with anything in regard to compliance, the, the important thing is that you make a good faith effort to get in compliance when you realize that you're not. Um, so <clears throat> the, especially with the ACA filings, there's a lot of flexibility, um, you know, with them early on because it was new and, um, they were just wanting to make sure everyone was actually doing the filing. So you may not have done it exactly perfectly correctly, but you, if you did make an effort to do it, uh, that goes a long way. So with regard to any of these compliance matters, um, we would always say, uh, to, you know, take steps to get in compliance and, and, that goes a long way if in the future you're audited. Um, it's certainly a lot different than if you, you know, intentionally ignore the matter or, you know, you can claim ignorance, but, um, you know, certainly you want to make sure you protect yourself because some of the fines are significant. It can certainly damage, you know, your business if uh, it's not addressed. Sure. Sure. And I know uh, we talked about it just briefly and there's more information that I need to find out even myself, but you, you you have a tool that actually helps put some of this stuff in perspective. And um, and I, and this this morning, I, I found out there's really no charge. It's uh, through the broker community, but you guys offer a compliance tool assessment um, and uh, help you discover where there's some gaps in that. Can you give us just the um, brief high-level overview of what that tool does and, and what, what, what they can expect from it? Sure, it's uh, called Compliance E-Syst, with an E, um, and it's a it's a tool that's uh, intuitive. So it, you would um, you can email a link to a client, for example. You schedule some time to walk through it, but um, basically it walks through. I think it's about eight or nine areas of compliance, and it asks asks a bunch of questions and. The answers to those questions, you know, the first couple of questions, will customize future questions uh, to uh, be specific to your business. So if you're a small business with under 50 employees or if you're a larger group with over 100, um, you know, as you answer those questions, the future questions will be customized to what you've already answered. And it will walk you through various areas like ERISA, um, like non-discrimination testing, like you know, having a POP document in place. Um, 5,500 filings, all of those areas of compliance will walk you through several questions. Um, it takes maybe 20 minutes or so uh, to get through those. And at the end of it, it will provide a summary report of kind of where you stand and it will give you a score, one to 10 uh, in each of those different areas. And then, you know, you know the ones where you really have a vulnerability, you can kind of focus on uh, first. And and it does have a nice report at the end of it. It's about 20 to 22 pages where it'll, it'll go through each area of compliance, explain it to you. Also, it'll mention the potential fines that you could be liable for if you, you know, were to fail um, in that area of compliance. So it'll show you the holes in your game, you know, as it were, and help you shore that up and protect your business. So certainly a valuable tool. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, um, this is a technology piece. And one thing I wanted to bring up with you, because technology has um, obviously been on the forefront for a little while, but in the 
insurance, the benefit arena specifically, I always say we're old school dinosaurs and it takes us a little while to catch up to speed. And I'm sure you've seen that throughout the years. I mean, we have carriers that still collect PDFs and um, documentation through fax or, or electronic submission. They're upgrading a little bit, but they're still originated from a PDF document. Just old school. We'll probably turn the corner at some point where everything's web-based, secured, and the whole night. I mean, even from secured email systems, when it's one of my biggest gripes is that you send secure documents through a, you know, an agency secure system, and then we get a response from the carrier and says, well, we can't open this file. You have to send it a different way. But my, my whole point of all that is just really to say, hey, we're a little bit in the dark ages, but we're getting there, right? And so there's technology platforms that are coming to make a lot of these tools a lot easier. And I know um, PrimePay and uh, your community have uh, tried to take a step forward and actually assisting some of the smaller brokers and, as well as the bigger ones. And we won't get into names or any of the products, but there's technologies, platforms to help with onboarding processes and as well as tracking time, time off, HR compliance. And then also it has data feeds to go right to documentation for what you guys do. Can you can you just briefly walk over some of the things just from a high level and, and how those connections work out to the favor of the employer to save a lot of time and potentially money? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, does anybody fa- actually fax anymore? I don't know. I, <laughs> I still receive uh, faxes. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that's understandable. I mean, we're you know in a transition over to kind of in, in that direction. I mean, the push in the industry for technology has you know been even before the Affordable Care Act, but certainly came to the fore uh, during the pandemic, where there was uh, you know a bit of a uh, emergency and folks couldn't get into their offices and needed access to information and so forth. So, um, yeah, the technology platform, I mean, really, you can automate your entire hiring process and get someone on payroll and enrolled in their benefits and track all of their, t- you know, time off and so forth without any paper and finally cabinets. And I think that should be the goal for, for any companies is, is to get there because it's an immense amount of work to track all of that stuff, given the regulations with time, time and labor management, uh, with payroll. Um, and none of that is going to lighten up, right? I mean, uh, it, regulations in general will only tighten, um, generally not loosen. So uh, certainly you want to automate as much of that process as you possibly can because it eliminates human error. Uh, it eliminates having to go to multiple systems for the same events. So every time you have a termination, you don't have to go to three systems to record it. You just, you know, kind of our overall theme at Prime Phase, you press one button and make 10 things happen. So um, that's really our goal in assisting our clients. We're, we're trying to help them do what they do, but do it better and to do it more efficiently. And, you know, a lot of your day, especially, you know, if you have HR staff or, if, you know, you're the owner and you wear all the hats, uh, a lot of your day is going to be bogged down in a lot of this administrative minutia. So um, definitely want to look at ways that you can um, get everything in one place. We try to be very flexible and plugging into whatever platform uh, group uh, is either using or um, if they need one, uh, ones that we integrate with um, at a lower price point. So a lot of the hindrance for smaller groups has simply been the cost. But there are platforms these days that are uh, at a reasonable cost for your group size, trust me. So it's good to, uh, you know, look into it. If you have any questions, maybe you thought you couldn't afford it, um, you know, that's something you, you can look into. But it's worth having the discussion to see what might work for your business. 
Yeah, and, and even from the broker side, I, I would say a lot of these technology tools are, are helping on the service end of things because um, sometimes where there's so many things that are all over the place, to get a dashboard to put it all in one place for one employer and then have all their employees' information in there, if they have onboarding issues or if they're terminating an employee or if there's a modification somewhere, it gives us direct access and ease of information right into the portal so that we could assist almost immediately in the process. Whereas years ago, and even currently in a lot of situations, an employer would email the broker and say, okay, you know, John Smith has been terminated. We get we terminate them on the health insurance plan and forget that they were on the life, the DEI, the dental, and the vision. You know, and then you forget some of those terminations. But then on the compliance side, like if they're bigger and they have COBRA administration, to have that automatically feed some of it, you have to manually work. But all, a lot of it just integrated to a point where it just makes the process so much easier and saves a bunch of time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially from where you sit, Butch, as the broker. I mean, it's always, the access to information has always been a struggle getting things from the client if you don't have uh, portal access to things like that. Single sign-on to all your groups is uh, an amazing uh, tool that certainly makes it easier from the broker standpoint. There's a lot, obviously, uh, an employer has to go through and including the broker community. And I know some brokers are, are also listening and they could benefit from this. And so I, I know you work uh, a lot directly with the broker community, but if anybody needed to get access to any information regarding you or, or PrimePay, what, what would be a good contact information uh, that they could get a hold of you or the information we discussed? Yeah, sure. You can always reach me on my cell, which is uh, 518 area code 312-8955. And you can shoot me an email as well, which is simply my first initial, which is C, last name is Granger, G-R-A-N-G-E-R, at primepay.com. And always feel free to, you know, check out our website, primepay.com. And we also have a broker concierge website, which is part of our um, you know, benefit and compliance services arm. And that is simply brokerconcierge.com. And anybody contacts Chad, just make sure uh, you mentioned that they were on the, or they heard you from the podcast. And uh, I'm not sure if you'll get any discounts, but at least uh, uh, we could reference uh, where some of the information <laughs> came from because Prime Pay does a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't even get to. We just talked, I wanted to talk about the compliance side. So there's whole, so, a whole bunch more in the portfolio that they offer. So, Chad, I, I definitely appreciate your time this morning. I appreciate your insight and what you're doing for the community. Even on the broker channel, you're, you're giving back by giving those continuing education credit uh, back to the brokers so they get uh, keep in compliance with their state licenses and, and making sure that there's uh, liaisons and, and resources for the brokers. I appreciate all that you're doing. Yeah, thanks very much, Bush. I really appreciate all three having me on and uh, you know talking about these matters. They're important. And uh, you know, thanks for the time.